Welcome or welcome back to Go Produce My Crew. My name is Big Lou, and this is the podcast and YouTube channel that explores how music industry professionals turn their passions into profit. We are on a massive mission to bring clarity to the music industry, and our goal is to help 1 million music industry professionals live off of their passion. I'm laying down the foundation that I need in order to thrive in the music industry, and I want to help you do the same. This episode is brought to you by thecharts.com. If you're a producer or beat maker looking to build your beat commerce business in less time, thecharts.com can help. With an easy-to-use, mobile-friendly interface and built-in marketing tools, thecharts.com will help you grow your brand, build your fan base, and scale your income. Sign up for free and start selling your beats and instrumentals today on thecharts.com. Today's theme is what makes a good producer both skillfully and technically. Let's go. Colombian engineer and producer Esteban Parra has credits as a recording, mixing, and mastering engineer for artists including Shakira, Paulina Rubio, Tabio, Tab, Tabu from Black Eyed Peas, Becky G, and so many more. He studied at the Fernando Sor School of Music and Audio and at the Universidad Javeriana in Bogota. He also has experience in production, recording, and mixing of chamber, orchestral, and electroacoustic formats. Go produce! This is Esteban Parra. Welcome, welcome, good sir. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Louis. Thank you for having me here. It's an honor. I want you to know that we do appreciate your time, so let's make the most of this and go produce, shall we? Okay. All right. So our first segment of the show is called The Basics. I always, I always have to dance to warm things up a little bit. Feel free to join me as we move forward, but that's your prerogative. Starting off, <laughs> starting off the segment, I want to ask you this question. It's one of my favorites. What is your first musical memory? Well, I guess my, my first musical memory um, must be my father being a composer and an orchestra conductor. Um, I think that would be sitting alongside him when he was uh, directing the orchestra. And sometimes I would like play uh, to his direction and like all the musicians would have a blast, you know? Of course, like, of course, watching, watching you do, do the so. same so, thing. Yeah. And then do you think actually doing it and, and, and mentally putting yourself in your dad's shoes put you in the position to follow music the way that you did now? Yeah, sure. I mean, he, he has been a very big influence throughout my life. And I think uh, my musical perspective has been uh, modeled by a lot of the things I've, I've seen him do throughout his career. So I, I was very, you know, he introduced me to the recording studio when I was a child. So, you know that that must be it says a lot it says a lot absolutely and so your dad was one of your role models i'm curious perhaps he was the person or there was someone else but what is the first lesson that you learned in the music industry well i think the the first lesson i learned was not to think too much about music when playing you know like going along with it and not thinking too much because um, 
music is all about emotion and feeling. So if you think about it, you can't go with the flow, you know? Of course, of course. There there can be rules, but you don't have to follow the rules super strictly because it's not black or white with this. You have to feel what is right. And then that's essentially how people like it if they if it feels good to them. Yeah, sure. And, and I think rules are meant to... Uh, to give you a guideline, but not to determine how you must do things, you know? I think uh, the most important thing uh, when making music is being true to your musical instinct. That's awesome. Okay, so you're you're being true to your musical instinct, but what what are your thoughts on on artists being classically trained? We can just spend a little bit of time on that because I know we, we dive into it further. I mean, classical training is 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 great, but I, I mean, it's necessary to have a good technique, but technique is not everything to me. And uh, sometimes that kind of um, of path can limit yourself in in being creative and you know taking music for for what it is. Exactly. Okay. So don't be too structured. The training can be beneficial. It's a tool, but feel it. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. What is the greatest challenge that you currently face outside of COVID? Wow. That's a tough question. Assuming that it's the new normal, you know, that's kind of the new challenge. Like assuming the new normal, a lot of things have changed. Even the way you say hello to people, you know, you're, you're, just one is always kind of afraid of getting in touch with someone. So there's so that hesitation. Very, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to see what happens when we do open back up and, and start meeting in, in groups again, if there's going to be some kind of anxiety around uh, um, confrontation, if you will. But I, I do yeah. think that is an interesting challenge and I don't want to spend too much time on COVID. So we'll go right into our next segment of the show. Yes. Yeah, sure. Fantastic. This segment is called The Speed Round. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so what we're going to do here is I'm going to throw 20 questions at you relatively fast. And you have two, three seconds to answer each, but only with one word. Okay? Okay, okay. What is your favorite animal or plant? Cats. Have you ever been signed to a record label? Uh, no. What's your favorite snack? I'd say my favorite favorite snack would be like. Mm, <laughs> Who is an artist know, that you currently find the most exciting? The most exciting, I'd say, right now, Oscar Jerome. What's your favorite DAW? D A W. I'd say Pro Tools. What is your favorite time of day? Night. At the end of the day, you want a nice big glass of? Coca-Cola. What is your favorite piece of outboard gear? My favorite piece of outboard gear, that would be the LA-2A. Where is your favorite place in the world? The studio. Small town or big city? Big city, for sure. What is the first noise that comes to your mind? No, man. (laughs) (laughs) If movie is to watch, then Netflix is to? Sleep. 
Do you have any nicknames? Mono. What is your favorite cheap microphone? SM57. EQ into compression or compress into EQ? Depends on what you're doing. What is your next vacation spot? Maybe Japan. What instruments do you play? I play a little bit of piano. Would you go to percussion. the moon? Not really. What is your favorite music genre? Jazz. And do you have anything unique to your studio? Anything unique? I don't know, man. <laughs> we made it through. You made it through the speed round. No cuts, no scrapes. We're totally clear. Yes. Right. Did any of those questions stand out to you? The 57, because you, you can do almost everything with it. Uh, almost everything. I mean, it's very versatile and it's very cheap. I, I've recorded great vocals through SM57s, you know? That's fair. Okay. And then the EQ and compression one, you said it depends. Can you share some light on what it depends on? Well, that depends on what you're actually doing. If you're recording, then I would use EQ before compression. Sometimes you're using um, EQs to get rid of acoustic anomalies and for the compressors to do their job right. And sometimes you're just using EQ to add a little more of brilliance or sheen, you know, that depends. And I think that's what a, a good engineer and a good producer has to be able to determine, you know, judge the situation and then make the best product possible. So I, I liked how you described that for us. Our next segment is called What's Yo Take? Yes. We're getting a good reaction for each of the effects, so so I'm, I'm content we made it work. In this segment... You sound surprised. You know what? I shouldn't be. How rude of me. <laughs> In this segment, we're going to present you, Esteban, with different statements or scenarios, and we just want your perspective. Okay. Okay. What's your take on helping artists better find their voice? I mean, for me... To get a great performance, it's all about getting, you know, setting the perfect storm so the artist can feel really comfortable. You know, it's very hard to get a real good performance out of an artist that you're just getting to know. So for me, it's very important to be able to, to be personal and get intimate with the artist so I can really know what's the approach or what's the path he or, or she wants to take. And I, I would do whatever it's at, at my disposition to make that, um, to make that happen. You know, I'm just trying to be like a facilitator gateway for the artists to do their thing. So I, I actually, I don't have any rules. I, I would do whatever it takes to get the job done. Have you ever had difficult situations where you were trying to get the job done, but then the artist perhaps changes their minds or they just stop altogether and you have to motivate them? For me, it's about taking breaks, maybe playing some video games, doing other stuff that we can, you know, develop our relationship of friendship. So 
he we can like open up a lot of the time it's just about open cracking the, the egg open you know so take the time take the time to actually develop that relationship if the intention is i suppose longevity and and solid material moving forward are there situations where you have artists just coming in off the side of the road or they just call and you don't have the time to make a whole relationship with them how do you navigate that i i try to be flexible and i i try to be not not to be a bump in the road in terms of getting the technical things done uh, good i would just like uh, make them feel the more uh, comfortable they can get at the studio that makes sense that makes sense i i'm just trying to adjust for the artist to be comfortable to you know let it out to do what they have to do i appreciate that answer yeah i've had situations where i went into the into the into the booth into the studio thinking that i was ready and then one thing led to another and i wasn't so the engineer at the time had to adjust and and try and maneuver me and we 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 struggled with it a bit more so in my head mentally but it was definitely a learning experience so the effort that you put in as the engineer does go a long way in doing so what's your take on this analog versus digital that whole debate well i think that debate is all about context you know digital is really good it's as the same as analog you know it's about the mindset and about the tools you have at hand and the time you have available so if you if you're mixing let's say for example pop music there's no way you can use analog all the way because you have to recall a lot of the different mixing sessions and make a lot of adjustments it's just not efficient to work sometimes in the analog domain it's just that if you're going to work with analog you must be very aware that you have to do maintenance and a lot of things that are just not that uh, practical it's just about context either analog or digital will do the job it's just about knowing your tools knowing your tools and and then you know your destination how you get there can vary that's awesome yeah. okay okay so how many plugins do you actually use if i'm producing the, the song i i always try to commit processes from the recording so i don't have to stock all all the plugins in the mixing process and you know crash my computer but I mean it, I don't have rules I I just do whatever it takes I I try to listen to what the music is telling me it needs to to get going and communicate that emotion to the audience to the audience you know so I think it's all about um listening it's not about you about about you as an engineer uh, and how you want it to how you want it to sound it's about giving the music what it needs to be for young engineers looking to invest in their in themselves should they invest in perhaps plugins to make their toolbox bigger or should they invest that time and energy perhaps into like developing active listening and other kinds of methods how how should they invest their time at the beginning i mean one must know it's tools you know one one should know and read about the plugins and the 
development, all the that te technical stuff is very important. But I think if you if you want to become a better engineer, you must uh, listen to music, all sorts of music, different kinds of genres. Because if you don't have like a a big library in your head in terms of aesthetics, it's very difficult to know which path to choose much more important than technique. That's awesome. Okay, so these engineers, I mean, anyone really, artists can benefit from this as well, just consuming different types of music and listening. You said a lot of listening, but is there something specific that they're listening for? Or you specifically, what are you listening for when you, when you take this in? I, I focus on emotion and on what does that music make me feel because I'm a, a connection point between the producer or the composer and the audience. And they, they're giving me these emotions that the music is, is making you feel. So my job as a mixer or as a producer or as a mastering engineer is to let that emotion come through to the audience, you know? That's awesome. It's like a brain synapse. You're one of the neurons and you're passing on the message. You're relaying the message through. through, And it's a very necessary step. Thank you for all the work that you do. What's your take on digital music and streaming services? Well, that's kind of a downer because digital services and, and platforms are, you know, they're not going, doing us any good in terms of profit to the independent artists or, you know, the only ones that are basically profiting from this are the big artists who get a lot of streams and they don't let us like have the experience to sit down and listen to a full record. You know, it's all about fragments now. That's not that, I, I don't really like that, but I try to work around and, you know, be at it at the best uh, way possible that I can. We have to uh, adjust. We have to adjust we as we go, right? Adjust. Yeah. We have to adjust. Right? Yeah, but I do I do realize that there's there's less of a message that you can share in such a short piece of work as opposed to a whole album and then and then the whole streaming world made that happen. You did in your description or in your answer recently just now you mentioned loudest loudness wars. Do you think that there was a loss of quality on those particular platforms? I mean, everything's compressed now. So quality is limited, but the, being able to stop that um, level war actually is making things sound better now. Even if they are, if we're listening to them compressed. So it's got, it's kind of a give or take, you know, it's like some things are better some things are worse. Yeah. But Do you think maybe that's why some people are still pushing for physical music? I think it's very important that vinyl is coming back and that kind of culture of listening is, is like regaining importance. It's true. I'm with you on that. Okay, so what's your take on collaborations accelerating your career? It's fun for, for, for a while, but, you know... Uh, Sometimes it uh, diverts the concept of the album or the artist. It, it like just opens too many paths. 
and the concept like gets obliterated. Right. It's too dilute and it doesn't have its its initial vision. Interesting. Okay. So what about past collaborations that you've had? You you you've I mentioned in the intro you've had a couple of different collabs there. What did that do for your career? Well, it, it definitely got me to know uh, artists of a of a different scale. You know, bigger bigger artists. It's a tool, you know, for marketing uh, and uh, joining forces in in terms of gaining a bigger audience. Collaborations are great. I mean, working the 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 act of working with other people always. It's a, always a win-win situation, you know? Absolutely, I think so. Unless it gets too diluted, like you mentioned earlier. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, you've done collaborations at a high level and you've done collaborations at a low level and then all in between. Out of, out of the ones that were, say, say, let's say at the higher levels, but no names, what were some high points and low points from those experiences? Uh, when working with with high profile artists you are expected to do your work very fast and i i mean sometimes the quality process of production can be overlooked in in terms of achieving the recording itself there's always going to be ups and downs you know it's it's just about how fast you reaccommodate yourself to the situation one of the laws of working with high-profile artists is that it's not about technical stuff or even music-related stuff, but political stuff, label-related stuff. There's so much going on when working in, in those with high-profile artists. It's just not about music, you know? It's not, not all about music. And it gets overwhelming if it's not exactly what you were trying to do, correct? Right. Okay, so I wonder, it's not for everyone. Perhaps some people just want to focus more on the music, but for those that are interested in working with those bigger names, record labels and whatnot, what did you do to be put in the position to start working with them? Be on time on the right situation, you know? It's a different combination of things. And I was just like, um, I just had the lo- the, lo- the luck to the, the right job at the right time for me to be called later on. So it's, it's just about always being ready to, you, to, to do your best in every situation. That I, that I would think would be the path to get to work with bigger artists. So the, you have to show consistency. Yeah, consistency is huge. Consistency is huge. And then giving the best that you can every single time, no matter what you're doing, because there are jobs that you don't like, you still have to do your best, and then you can start doing the better jobs. And yeah. <laughs> believe it or not, you got to give your best then too. And, and I mean, one of the first times I got called to mix a session in that studio where I, I started as a runner was because I was staying in the studio for about 16 to 18 hours doing all sort, all, all that, all sorts of stuff. And one of the producers just like... who. Who, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> so he, he was like, he started like uh, getting me to set up the the workstations and installing the plugins, you know, and getting the the gear uh, set up all together for the recording sessions. And I just like 
went in a little deeper every time, you know, until I got to be assistant recording engineer and eventually they would, they would hand over a mix for me to do. Boom. Just like that. I love that. I love that. Gradual baby steps. That's what I keep on saying. That's awesome. We are now moving into our next segment. This one is called Community Queries. Here we go. All right. Esteban, we've got a couple of fans that sent in questions earlier, and I'm going to pull them up for you so that you can listen to them here. Okay. All right. So the first fan is Ryan Kelly. He is a musician out of London, Ontario, and this is his question. Hey, I have a question. Do you use any gear or software in a way than it is originally intended to make anything completely unique to yourself? One plugin I use from Waves that I, I use a lot, not actually for what it's for, it's the bass rider. Sometimes I just wanna, you know, excite the, the volume of, of some instrument in, in terms of exciting the volume in terms of time. So I would use that a lot. I'd like to use a lot of tools for different purposes. I mean, sometimes I just don't look at the, at the tool and, and start like tweaking, just hearing what I'm doing because sometimes watching the tool may confuse what you're getting into your ears, you know? So that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I think one must always go with your, with the instinct, you know? Instinct is very important. It's there for a reason. It's there for a reason. I love that. Fantastic. Thank you, Ryan Kelly, for, for, for asking that question. Our next fan is Alicia Dariano. She is a performer and educator, and this is her question. Hi. Different countries have different PROs, so I'm curious to know how the splits between artists, producers, and beat makers work. Thanks. Really aware in terms of what are they doing here right now, because everything's changing, you know, so fast. And every, every specifically in here, everyone's getting a different deal out of you know? So it's hard to compare anything. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Beautiful. Well, thank you for that answer. And thank you, Alicia, for that response. You can find her on Instagram at Alicia Dariano. Our last question for fans is Freddy Almarza. Hi. I'm curious to know if you have a unique workflow. Thank you. Uh, if, if I'm working a certain genre, I would like listen a lot of different artists from that genre and like get I try to get my ear ready for what I'm going to do and then I would well that depends on the process I'm doing but for example when when mixing I would really like to get some a couple of references of of you know to be able to compare for me that is very important to have a different references and to have the artist or the producer mix reference mix so i can you know take on that path they're trying to take uh, and just like make it better without changing it without enhance it changing yeah. direction so so for me it's about 
instinct. So I would use the first couple of hours for me are the most important because that's when you really look at the music with fresh eyes or, or you know, you have fresh ears. So it, you're very determined of what the music needs. As time goes by, get used to listening to that song that way. So it's very important to act fast and, you know, make all the changes you want before you get, get used to, to, to the song, you know? That's very interesting. That's actually, I was considering taking different approaches because then you can sit on the song, absorb it, and then really process the kinds of changes that you want. But I do like your perspective as well. Freddie, you can find him on Instagram at Freddie Almarza. Um, that's Freddie. <laughs> Our final segment of the show is Clear the Air. Was there a noise? Did you hear a noise? <laughs> okay. In Clear the Air, we're going to be throwing you slightly denser questions. You mean, what are, what, why are you asking people if they hear a noise? Uh, are, you not, are you not I, paying attention too much? Also? I just had a brain fart. Maybe I don't, I don't really know what happened there, to be honest. You got one of these. You want it again? There we go. Oh, you're gonna kick. You're gonna. You're gonna make a step and leave here. One more time. Oh, jeez. Here we go. <laughs> and that is clear the air. All right, Esteban. In this segment, I just want you to bring a little bit of clarity to these slightly denser questions. Cool. Yeah. Why are more and more people deciding to generate content from their own home studios instead of going to the big 64-channel console studios? Well, I think it comes down to money. You can really get great results with very cheap or inexpensive gear. I mean, most you, you just have to go, to have a good acoustical environment. I mean, there is better equipment at, at our commercial studio, but I mean, you it's all about context. What you're gaining of of what you are investing, it's all about context. There's sometimes it doesn't justify to go to a commercial studio, you know, from the results you can get from doing it at home. What what can an artist truly gain from going to one of these big studios compared to what they can do at home? Consistency and the acoustical environment. I mean, the an acoustical environment designed by professionals is very very different in terms of a, a sound behavior. I mean, if you're comparing it to a homemade studio where you're using just like homemade bass traps and stuff like that, you know, you're not really doing measurements. And so I, I'd say uh, when you go to a commercial studio, the things you have to get, you know, you have to get advantage of is the acoustical environment and boutique microphones, you know. Just that difference in, in sound quality, correct? Yeah, yeah. sure. Will digital simulation surpass analog hardware one day, do you think? I think it will probably happen. Not, not, not now, but eventually we'll get there. And then it will be all about taste and context and aesthetics. By that, you're not going to, you're not going to lose the craft of analog recording. 
because that that's most that's the fear that most people have that you know the the technological advancements may you know remove the artistic integrity yeah sure but i don't think that's the case it's all about adjusting to the new tools and being able to get the the the, the desired results yeah and that's where the art comes from yeah yeah it's still an art there cool for sure cool cool why is mixing and mastering media for radio and television necessary if most people don't listen to it through proper systems does that make sense yeah sure i mean that's the reason because most systems aren't great systems you so know, you have to make the mix good you have to mix you have to make the mix and the master good in terms of that it can sound relatively good in any system so that's about mastering so it's all about that it's all about optimizing audio so so it can be reproduced you know without like as 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 cleanly as possible as cleanly as possible and and uh, i think um, it's very important that when mixing you like see the different perspectives of the, what the end user is going to get so it's very important to check your mixes in different uh, speakers and trying to accommodate to that end user without losing all the artistic perspective and you know all that thing so when you're when you're making mixes for tv commercials or for radio shows you're testing what it sounds like through the general speakers but then when you're mixing for something else you might test it through other speakers yeah sure i would test it through my earbuds headphones radios i i wanted to be as across the board as, yeah cross i wanted to 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 behave uh, okay in all systems makes so, sense yeah yeah so everyone gets the full experience or as much yeah. of the experience okay yeah sure and then so mixing mixing for radio and for tv obviously has to be taken seriously um, as as should it always but what is the biggest difference between doing it there and then doing the mixing that you did for a 27 minute long piece for an orchestra how was that i mean it's all about the mid range and the vocals if you're doing pop music if you you you're recording classical it's all about other things it's about representing a reality in the concert hall or something like that. But when doing or mixing music for radio, it's all about vocals and, you know, trying to get the message across all the audience. What was one of the most memorable learning experiences from having mixed the classical music in the orchestra? The real difference between those uh, uh, aesthetics is that uh, when doing pop music you tend to overdo things instead when when recording classical you must not overdo yourself not overdo compression you know not uh, you're trying to capture a moment and uh, make it as realistic as possible so Sometimes you must ha learn to, I mean, it's the, a different intake in terms of 
you you just have to do everything in the recording when doing classical. Yeah, yeah. Be prepared ahead of time. That's aggressive. That's aggressive. Okay, okay. We're wrapping up very soon. Clear the air on this. What makes a good producer good? Being able to be a bridge between the artist and the audience. That's what a producer does. You know, give it. Turn the the song in the right direction, or turn the artist in the right direction for him or her to connect to his audience or her audience. You know, very cleanly said. Do you think for a producer to do that effectively, they need to be familiar with music theory, or is it just good taste that is most important? Well, I mean, music theory is always welcome because it's it's a tool that lets you understand music, but I think. Everything is about, as I said before, instinct and the way you feel music because music is all about emotions, you know? So it is definitely about emotion. It's definitely about emotion. Okay. And then as you were starting up your career as a producer um, and you were becoming more in terms of emotion, I, I suppose this is quite early in your career because you were raised in the studio and the orchestra. Um, but what kind of challenges did you have? Initially, and how did you overcome them? Well, I I think most of the challenges one has when starting as a producer is knowing when when to transition to a different process of the production. You know, when to when to when is it ready to start mixing? N knowing those bound boundaries de definitely is a, a very hard thing to learn. You know, knowing when to stop, when when it's better to replace a sample instead of, you know, using EQ and compression to change the sound. Uh, but was there a specific challenge that like happened often when you were starting? Maybe, maybe understanding the psychological aspect of getting a great performance. You know, because at at the first when when you're first learning, you focus so much on the technique and getting the right gain structure, you know, all the technical stuff, but you're not like getting into the psychological thing of, of making music, you know, like how to approach a performer in order to get the best out of, of him. You know? That's critical. That's critical. And you have to be familiar and comfortable with the technical in order to get to the psychological. Yeah, sure. I mean, the technical is very important, but as time go as time passes, it becomes less important in terms that it must be it's a tool that has to serve creativity but not limited, you know? So it's a tool at your disposal. At, at your disposal. You're not at the disposal of the tool. Of it. Yeah. That's a very interesting perspective that people should keep in mind. All right, final question. Who is your favorite producer and tell us why? Well, I'd say I I grew up listening a lot to Alan Parsons, the Alan Parsons project. And I really, he, he was like the guy, the reason I got into sound engineering, you know, listening to the Alan Parsons records. And I think that he was a very, he was a producer focused on the art, artistic way of making music. He was 
definitely a very big influence on how I perceive music and and on what I look into music. Great records. That's Parsons. huge. How, how, yeah. That's huge. And the influence goes a long way and you've continued on yeah. to make great records too, which is super cool. That's big. Esteban, in conclusion, do you have any final words for us? It's all about uh, following your your passion and your instinct, you know? I mean, if, if you're always passionate about your... Just work towards never losing that, losing that passion. Ooh, that's very important. Very important. Maintain that. Already, can they find you anywhere, our listeners? Well, I, I'm not uh, a very social guy, but you can find me at Instagram, at uh, El Mono Esteban. El Mono. Uh, <laughs> El Mono Esteban, and I think that's about it. You can serve me, serve, like hit me up on Facebook if you want. As well. Awesome. Beautiful. We will include all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Esteban Parra. We out. This episode is brought to you by thecharts.com. If you're a producer or beat maker looking to build your beat commerce business in less time, thecharts.com can help. Remember that you can sign up for free and start selling your beats and instrumentals today at thecharts.com. Big shout out to all parties involved. You can find more value at our website at goproduce.ca. Connect with me on Instagram at go.produce. If you're on YouTube, hit subscribe. If you're on Apple or Spotify, make sure to hit download. This will really help us grow our community. I'm Big Lou, and this is Go Produce.